0: This podcast was first broadcast on FreshFM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on FreshFM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. Hi, I'm Charlie Cuff, a year 10 student from Nelson College and welcome to the Gen Z Time Machine. Today I'm talking to Faye Douglas about her late husband, Russell Douglas, also known as Doug. He was one of ten in a flying fortress crew shot down over Germany towards the end of World War II. The story has been published in a book written by Faith, and also features in a new book by Nelson writer Renee Hollis, titled Voices of World War II. When did you
1: first meet Doug?
0: 1945,
1: on the 17th of September, 1945, after he'd just come back from the war.
0: And what were your first impressions of him?
1: Oh, exciting. He was in his nice uniform.
0: Military man. Um, When did Doug join the military?
1: When he was 18. Mm -hmm. He was in the ATC first. When he was about 17, they joined the ATC. He had a job getting his father to sign for him to go over because he was only 18. Uh So he had to behave himself with his father because he wanted to be in the Air Force. So his father gave him permission to go. And then he trained at Harewood Airport Uh, which is now where the main Christchurch airport is. Mm -hmm. That used to be Harewood. And from there he went up north to um, (coughs) Lower Hutt and he had places there they did a bit of training in. From then they went to Canada as a lot of the Air Force guys here did training in Canada. And then from there to England. And they were in Norfolk, um, a place called Oolton, and that's where they flew out of most of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. And what were Doug's motivations for joining up?
1: Oh, I think it was the glamour of being a pilot, I think mm-hmm. he wanted to be.
0: Uh-huh. And what was his parents' reactions? Were they happy for him to go?
1: His parents? I don't think they did to the start with, but it was his ambition to go, so they agreed. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Why did Doug decide on the Air Force? Was he always set on becoming a pilot?
1: I, I don't know, because not knowing him then, I don't know um, just why he wanted to be a pilot, but he just seemed interested in aircraft, I think. Mm.
0: Why did he end up in Canada? Why were they training there?
1: Ask the New Zealand government about that. <laughs> I don't know why they were sent there for training. Probably to get some training away from the war, war zone at that stage, mm-hmm. get them... They had to crew up and decide which where they were going to go like what whether they wanted to be a rear gunner an observer or a pilot or as i say he wanted to be a pilot but wound up being the, the rear gunner
0: hmm. what was new zealand's air force like then? The did, air force. did we have a, a big air force or would he have gone no it the wasn't a miles?
1: very big air force because the army was the biggest service No, the air force wasn't a great big air force here no because i was only nine when the war broke out He was six years older than me. Um, So when he went away in 1942, 43, I'd only be about 13 or 14. I met him when I was 16, when he came back. So, um, no, I, I got all the information from him, and I really enjoyed hearing it, and the family did too. Had an interesting life, really, and he loved every minute of it. As you see in that letter that he wrote, he said it was the greatest experience of his life, bailing out a parachute.
0: After the end of the war, Doug arrived back in England and wrote to his family. A copy of this letter is on display at the Air Force Museum in Wigram, Christchurch.
1: Dear family, long before this effort reaches you, you will have received my cable, saying I am back in circulation once again. I have a hell of a lot to tell you and the trouble is knowing where to begin. You might prefer me to start at the beginning. That's usually the way. It was on the night of March the 14th, a bright moonlight night, and I was sitting in my turret, sipping a cup of hot coffee, and thinking of the egg and chips we would have on return to the base, when all of a sudden, all hell let loose. There was bleeding tracer shells and everything, including the kitchen stove, sailed by my window. Then the skipper said, prepare to bail out, so on went the chute and away went our egg supper three engines packed up and the starboard wing caught fire so the order came to beat it away bailing out is one of the best sensations i have ever experienced bar none it was like sleepwalking that was until i pulled the cord then there was a hell of a jerk and i started swinging like a pendulum the descent was bloody slow and I thought I was never going to get down until the horizon came into view. Then I found I was dropping like a bleeding rock. A few minutes later, I was on the deck up to my ankles in snow and getting dragged downhill by the chute. After I pressed the release, took off the works and climbed down to the snow covered road. I then took a look at the compass and headed north.
0: You're listening to Faye Douglas reading a letter by her late husband, Doug, a rear gunner on a flying fortress shot down over Germany in March 1945.
1: It took me a good hour to get to the main road, which had been swept clear, during which time I divested my heated suit, I turned southeast and presently came to a signpost bearing the name Rippold. The only thing I could do was to keep walking, and did I walk. I reckon that I chalked up a distance about 30 miles that night from midnight to 7.30 in the morning. Dawn finally broke, cold as hell. I still kept to the roads. Silly thing to do. Quite a few villagers passed me and spoke to me and looked at my flying boots. I ignored them as I didn't know what the hell they were talking about anyway. Once I went up onto the hillside to have a look at the map to see where I was and crawled back to the road again. And about half an hour later, a civvy cop on bicycle cops me. He took me into a civvy house for breakfast and a rather doubtful brew of coffee and black bread, which was as hard as hell. After breakfast, we started walking, still southeast towards the next village, where the local burgomaster was in residence. There I was searched later on by a Wehrmacht equivalent to a flight sergeant who did me over twice before finding all the stuff. I had files, compass and maps in every conceivable place and boy oh boy did he go off his rocker. He went up the air completely when he searched me. At Wolfack I was interrogated by two professors from the local school who spoke pidgin English. I refused to say a word, so they put me in a louse-ridden cell, in solitary. I did manage to get a couple of hours sleep, till the guard brought in a bowl of soup and some spuds and meat. The latter made me almost sick to smell, so I didn't eat it. This was where I made a mistake, because you either eat it or starve. At 7pm, I was taken out of the cell and was taken back to an interrogation room again and lo and behold, if the skipper, wireless operator and the navigator aren't there looking like something the cats dragged in, I didn't let on they were with our crew. Later that night we were put in a truck with two guards and carted to a prison compound. A bare slab of board served as a bed, no blankets were provided. We danced around to keep from freezing, so ended the first day in captivity. I have to go now. Your loving son, Russell.
0: Would he have had much protection clothing?
1: Well, he had, when they were on the plane, they had heated suits, Mm -hmm. heated boots, heated suits. And the seat that he sat on as a rear gunner was just like a bicycle seat with a... And they just peed where they were. And they were up there for hours these ones, the spoof raids, mm. trying to draw the German fleet up there. So the bombers went in and bombed.
0: Mm. At yeah. what stage was the war in when Doug started flying his missions?
1: I don't think he started going until about 44. Mm-hmm. 44. He was on his 39th sortie, as they called it. You have um, so many on a, a group. And then you go your second one. When you've done your first tour... And I think that was about about 25 trips over Germany. Mm -hmm. It was always at night time, of course. And um, you had the choice of not going on another tour, or did, and they chose to go on the other one, next one, and they did. Mm -hmm. So um, it was on his 39th trip when they were shot down.
0: Uh, And how did he end up flying flying fortresses? Of all well,
1: don't ask me, because it's what they were, like, what squadron they got into there, that was a Federation of Malay plane outfit then, and then they changed it to 100 Group. So I don't know why it was the Federation of Malay States sponsored it, or what it was called. But you don't really have a choice of what you go and when you're over there. I mean, the commanders tell you what to do, <laughs> do you tell
0: Did Doug ever describe what it was like being a rear gunner, being in pretty much the most exposed place on a plane?
1: So it was lonely, because you're well away from all the others.
0: Would they have had radio? Hmm? Would they have had radio to the other
1: Oh, yeah, they had communication to one another, but they didn't talk much. They weren't allowed to talk much while they're there.
0: So when he was in the back of the plane, what kind of weaponry was he dealing with? Was it? A machine gun or kind of a cannon?
1: I think it was a machine gun, Yeah, oh. A type of machine gun, yeah. <laughs> and as I said, the seat that he sat on was just like a bicycle seat. Yeah. He was sitting on a bicycle seat with that like <laughs> looking out the back.
0: <laughs> um, how many machines Funny thing,
1: they used to call it Tali and Charlie. Oh. <laughs> Did you know that?
0: I've heard of that, but I didn't realise it was <laughs> to describe rear gunners. Hmm.
1: The yeah. rear end, Tali and Charlie.
0: <laughs> How many missions did Doug fly in? You said 39, was it? I was on his 39th
1: time over there. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And what kind of things was Doug doing when he was flying? What were the missions involving?
1: Just uh, these spoof raids all the time. They were on that special group that didn't carry bombs. Mm -hmm. They just drew the German planes. They thought they were going because they threw out aluminium foil to foil... foil, um, for the Germans, when they thought that was the big bomber fleet coming in, Mm -hmm. whereas they'd go for them, and the other bombers would come in low down and do the bombing. Uh So they were sitting ducks up there, really, and they were up there for hours at a time. And some of his um, logbook there, it'll say, he was up there for six hours, five and six hours up there, way above the, the bombers.
0: Did they get much protection? Did they have fighters around them?
1: Oh, look, I'm not sure of that, um, Charlie. Not okay. sure of that at all.
0: Yeah, do you know how uh, aluminium foil would have tricked radar? Would, would that have been something?
1: You oh, would have it, was, it was radar jamming. It was they were jamming the radar with that too. And their skipper was um, a fluent German speaker, and he could listen into the German radios mm-hmm. and what they were talking about. But Doug never knew that till he came back from the war that his skipper was a fluent german speaker
0: Uh Mm.
1: but i did a lot of radio jamming Mm
0: -hmm. Mm. yeah but were there any big operations that listeners might have heard of that doug was involved in to help
1: no not really they were just their normal trips until they got shot down Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: so doug's plane would have been going in would he have been with other bombers or just on their own and bombers are somewhere else oh there
1: was others there was others There's another one shot down the same night Mm -hmm. another one that's mentioned in my book there that um, yeah there was another one shot down the same night and uh, when he landed he met up with because you land anywhere he landed in snow he said and um, he caught up with one of the you never tell them when you when the Germans come and get you on the ground you're not allowed to tell them anything where you're from who you are and he met up with one of the others from one of the other planes that he knew, who crashed, and um, they didn't let on, they knew one another. But, um, no, he only had six weeks as a POW, but it was enough from what I've read here anyway. So. Um...
0: Thank you for listening to the Gen Z Time Machine. Join me next week as I continue the conversation with Faye, and we talk about Doug's experiences as a prisoner of war in Germany.